I'd like to introduce Dr. Pariser. He uh, is a professor in the Department of Dermatology at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia, where he is also the senior physician in Pariser Dermatology Specialist Limited, a private group practice of 10 dermatologists, seven PAs, and one nurse practitioner with multiple locations in the southeastern Virginia area. He obtained his undergraduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania, his MD degree from the Medical College of Virginia, and trained as a dermatology resident in Florida at the University of Miami. Quite active in the affairs of the American Academy of Dermatology, Dr. Pariser has served on over 100 committees, was an officer and board member of the Academy for 14 years, and was the 2009-2010 president. He's also a current board member of the American Academy of Dermatology. Dr. Pariser has published over 100 articles in peer-reviewed journals and is or has been on the editorial board of the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology and Managed Care Magazine and is a reviewer for both of these publications and for P Pediatric Dermatology, the American Journal of Managed Care, the Journal of European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology, and the Archives of Dermatology. I'm tired just reading that. <laughs> I, join me in welcoming Dr. Pariser. Thanks. Okay, well, thank you all. And I think if you can all can hear me with this other mic, I'd rather not stand behind the podium. Well, thanks for the, the stalwarts, people among you who got up early to come hear a little bit about what the Academy is doing and what, we, uh, what our relationships are regarding you guys, an important part of our, of our healthcare team. So one of the things that has recently happened at the Academy is this task force has been formed to, to try to make some determinations about how we, sh we, the Academy, should interact with you, the uh, PA community, and also the nurse practitioners, the, the mid-levels, non-physician clinicians, call whatever you want. I'm going to just say PAs from now on because that's what you guys are. And realizing that you know, healthcare reform is here. January 1st is less than two months away. And suddenly, there are going to be lots of new people in the system, patients in the system to see. There are going to be lots of changes. And we better get our heads out of the sand and realize that healthcare in dermatology is a team effort. And you guys are <clears throat> a significant part of that team. So let me back up a little bit and, and give you a, some insight on the, the Academy's strategic plan, how we, uh, how we look at ourselves and, and how we portray ourselves to the world, and what part you guys sh should and do play in that. Um, we want to try to influence change. Our primary goal, if you look at the top of the lighthouse there, is quality patient care. That's what we are in business to do that. And in order to do that, we need to, we need to provide information and advice to our mem members. We need to, to understand best clinical practices. We help to have to help navigate the rapidly changing healthcare environment. And boy, is it you, you ain't seen nothing yet until after the first of the year about how this is going to, to happen. And I'll, I'll digress in a few minutes a little about, about what we know is going to happen and what might might happen. And of course, we want to support our members. Uh, we want to do uh, research to, to, in terms of doing, not funding, but promoting medical research to advance the knowledge of our science. We also want to do research about ourselves and, uh, and show how we can deliver uh, dermatologic care in a cost-effective and evidence-based way. Measurable and demonstrable outcomes are a little more difficult in dermatology than they are in other specialties. 
I mean, if you're a, if you're a, a surgeon, you can easily measure, well, how many of your patients have to be reoperated. If you're a cardiologist, you can easily remember, well, how many of your people, how many of your people died? If you're managing diabetes, you can manage hemoglobin A1Cs. If you're a, a primary, primary doc, you can see how many people you've used got mammograms and other cancer screenings. It's easy to do. But in Durham, we don't have that kind of measurable and demonstrable outcomes. And as healthcare reform comes down the road, and physicians and others and providers in general are paid for performance and paid according to the best outcomes, what are we going to be measured by? And that, that re, that's a significant problem which, which we are totally wrestling with. So our key priorities, again, quality patient care. I'm going to say that many times before this hour is over. Specialty leadership. We, the academy, want to be the leaders in dermatology. Uh, and we, we have, in the academy, have 98 plus percent of American dermatologists belong to the academy. That's more than any other medical specialty. And we're proud of that and that we, that we must be doing something right. So we want to continue that. Uh, I, I'm going to talk to you later about how you as, uh, as providers could fit into this, perhaps. Uh, we need to support our members in every way we can. And we want to be the influential and trusted voice for patients with skin disease, for our members, dermatologists, and other providers with, who, who provide care for those patients with skin disease in the research world and in the communications world. So it's very important for us to maintain our brand, if you will, of the influential and trusted voice for dermatology. And then to do all of that, we have to have a vital, uh, vital organization. Academy has about 17,000 members now, about 5,000 of which are uh, ex-US. Uh, everybody in the world, physicians in the world, want to come to American Academy of Dermatology educational events. All right, so what about, what about you guys? Where do PAs fit in this picture? Well, we have a position statement on the practice of dermatology that has been promulgated and has reviewed, been reviewed and revised on multiple occasions. And I'm gonna just quote some verbiage from it because it's really important. We feel that in the world of treating skin diseases, the dermatologist has the ultimate responsibility for the quality. But here's the quote, at certain times and under the direction of a board certified dermatologist, the practice of dermatology requires a team approach. Not might have a team approach, not should have, a, requires a team approach. And that may include other providers practicing in a dermatology setting. As we look at the dermatology workforce and the growth in the workforce, it's you. And we need to be sure that you are part of the team, part of the team. And this is a lot of words, but this is, this is, this is something that many of our members get hung up on. Training of all personnel should be commensurate with their licensure and or experience and the degree of difficulty or complexity of the medical care, diagnosis, treatments, procedures, techniques, services, or tasks being delegated to them by dermatologists. Optimum practice requ standards require that dermatologists maintain written documentation on the training and education received by all personnel to which medical care, procedures, techniques, services, or tasks are delegated. What this says is that it's up to the dermatologist to decide what things to delegate, to de demonstrate and to, and to document, that, that delegation makes sense, but really uh, it's, it's, it, the, the, the onus is on the doc. Delegation and supervision, okay? The academy does feel that PAs provide, the be that best care is provided in general when PAs are directly supervised by an on-site dermatologist. Now we realize that that doesn't always happen. And when, when a dermatologist is not available for on-site supervision, there should be a procedure whereby 
patients can be seen in, a, in a, an expeditious way by a dermatologist. Maybe the next day, maybe, maybe two days later, maybe they go to another office where the dermatologist bit might be. Maybe they're seen by telemedicine, some other way where we don't want you as a PA hanging out by yourself without any supervision. We don't think it's good for the patients or, or for you for that matter. So if we look at the number of dermatology practices employing, this has PAs and NPs on the slide, uh, through 2012, this is, it's 40-some percent. If we project that out on the next line to, by 2015, it's going to be over 50 percent, and that's 50 percent of practices. That's not 50 percent of derms, because multiple derms often work in one practice, and so far more than 50 percent of derms now are used to practicing with a PA or nurse practitioner. Most PAs, they're, they're, as you, I'm sure you well know, there's far more derm PAs than there are nurse practitioners. So if you look at the practice setting, who, who employs and hire, or plans to employ um, non-physician clinicians? You guys. And if you look at it, it's mostly group practices that do this. Solo practices, less than a third. Group practices, a half or more, uh, will, will employ a, a, a non-physician clinician, usually a PA. So it's the solo practitioners that are the ones who are resistant in a way to this, and some are. Uh, and who, who, who don't employ extenders as much as the others do. So in a survey of our members asking the dermatologists, what do your PAs do? This is what they said they do. Almost everybody does medical derm. Um, almost half do non-cosmetic surgical dermatology. And over half do cosmetic dermatology. Well, that means they do some of each of these things. Well, how much of each of these do you guys do? Well, the derms say that you'd spend 82% of your time doing medical dermatology and 8 to 10% doing cosmetic and non-cosmetic surgical. I don't know how that blends with your individual practices. I'm sure that it all varies as much as the, as this, as the dermatologists do as to what they, what, uh, what they spend their time doing. Remember, this is data that when we asked our members, I really would love to ask you and see if we got the same thing. I have a feeling it would be different. Okay, so again, asking our members, do your PAs see established, stable patients, almost all, established patients with worsening conditions, two, over two-thirds, almost three-quarters, an established patient with a new problem, most, and brand new patients off the street, three-quarters. Three so you can pretty much see that, that um, in the survey that we, that we gathered, the, the, the PAs and NPs do just about everything. How often do you present your patient to the dermatologist when you see him in the, these different cla classes? So an established, stable patient, less than 20% of the time, does the derm actually see the patient? If it's an established patient who's worsening, just over 50. Established patient with a new problem, 40-some percent. And just under half of the new patients get presented to the dermatologist. This may or may not be okay, depending on the circumstances and depending on the situation in each individual practice. And I wonder, as you think about your own practice, how that matches with these numbers that we have. And I also wonder, if we surveyed you, what you would say. Because my feeling is that some of our, our dermatologist colleagues uh, don't really know what their PAs are doing in some, in some, in some situation, situations. Uh, this is a number which I, I don't personally believe that the dermatologist on a week sees 129 patients and a PA sees 90, 
Um, some dermatologists see 129 patients in two days or less. Um, but in any case, this was the average workload that was reported uh, by our, uh, in, our, in our survey. So where's the physician? Where's the physician? Well, 91% of our members said that they are always or almost always on site with their PAs. And 8.2% said they sometimes work off-site. Well, how much off-site? Well, this is, this, this is how much. So if you look at the blue, the blue and the red uh, pie together, you know, that's well over half. And if you put the, the light green in there as well, you know, that's um, over 80, almost 85%. 85% uh, are off-site less than 20, 30% of the time. So most of the time, but certainly not always, um, our derms say that they are uh, in the same office with you. Okay, so what do, we think, what do our members think about educating PAs? And we did, a, we did a survey about that. And actually most of our members are, most of our members, a majority, but not a huge majority, I must tell you, support offering educational courses and educational sessions for PAs. Most of those support the idea of having specific directed education for PAs and nurse practitioners. But almost, but that's a majority of, a majority of people. So we're in favor of educating you and I'll talk a little bit about how we've started to, to try to do a little better job in, in doing that. One of the, the charges of this task force that I'm currently chairing is to try to increase awareness among you guys of what's already out there at the academy, what's already out there for you, and to try to do that in a collaborative fashion. So in terms of what we, you know, we want to offer quality continuing medical education, quality practice management tools for you and your, and, and your supervising physicians and to try to make our CME relevant to our governing body, the ACCME, and as, as you do for, your, for the AAPA, uh, and to try to keep in step with, with the, the, these, these ever-changing CME rules, outcomes-based education. Um, you know, how can what we do, how what we teach, immediately implement and enhance patient care? That's the goal of, the, that's the goal of it. Uh, and that's, not, that's really not the future, it's now. I mean, we have to show what the educational needs are, we have to show what the outcomes are, we have to demonstrate that our education changed change behavior, and I'm sure you have to do the same thing. So what kind of, of um, education is available through the academy now for you guys? Well, you can attend our annual meeting in Miami Beach. You can attend, attend our summer meeting. There are uh, all kinds of online services and webinars that, that are ongoing. And I wanna address this, uh, this point here because I always hear well, yeah, we can attend the academy, but we can't get into any courses that we want to get into. Well, I have to tell you that we've changed our, um, we have changed the way that we, that we have PAs register. You don't have to register with your supervising doc anymore. That doc doesn't have to come anymore. And the issue of I can't get into any courses may have been the case in the past, but it's really not. If you look at this bar graph here, there's about 350 educational events at the annual academy meeting. Okay, the blue bar at the bottom are the ones which are sold out prior to, to the meeting started. So it's a tiny number in 2012. If you sign up, the, the, the um, program books just went out this last week. Um, it goes out to the docs first. You'll get them a little later, 
But if you sign up the day you get your book, a couple of days later, you'll get those courses. The red bars at the meetings are the ones that were sold out during the meeting, and the green ones were available. So at the upcoming meeting in Miami, we're going to have 354 sessions. Only 53 of those will require tickets. So there's 301 that you can walk into. There are 31 courses and 22 workshops which require tickets. Those are the ones which, if you sign up ahead of time, it's very likely that you will get in. Now, we also have what's called a 15-minute rule. And that is for any session, except for the nine restricted ones, which I'll talk about in a minute. So that means for 345 sessions, 15 minutes after the session starts, if there are any seats, the doors open and anybody who wants to can go in. Sit on the floor, sit in the back, do whatever you want to do. So it's, you, you have virtually unlimited access at the AAD annual meeting this year. Now, what are the nine restricted sessions? Well, the nine restricted sessions are sessions that are restricted only to dermatologists. No other physicians are allowed in, no other allied health professionals are allowed in, no other anybody's allowed in. And those are specific sessions that are live patient demonstrations and some, some cosmetic things. There are two reasons for why they're restricted. One is, if you've got a room this size full of people and somebody on the stage injecting filler into somebody's face and you're watching it on the screen, you may as well watch a video. It's not a useful experience to have a live patient demonstration for more than a, than a limited number of people. The other thing is that there is still a minority of opinion among the Academy members that certain of these cosmetic things should not be taught to people other than dermatologists. I don't agree with that, uh, but that's our current rule. It's nine out of 354 sessions. So if, if you're going to the Academy annual meeting and you're welcome to come and we have hundreds of PAs that come, uh, sign up early and you should pretty much get everything you want to get. Okay, so there are some other, th other events, other educational opportunities that are currently available to you guys. Um, one is this thing called Derm Clips, which is a literature review newsletter. You can sign up and get that. Their courses are dermoscopy. I know you had some talks on that here at this meeting. Uh, some online courses on dermoscopy. There's Dialogues in Dermatology, which is a very popular a subscription service where uh, experts in certain fields are interviewed in an informal fashion and you get a, a, a a CD, I think it's online too now, uh, that you can listen to in the car when you're riding around or, or you know, hear somebody talk in a casual way about a certain topic. And there's something which may be of interest to you, and you ought, you ought to look at it either as individuals or even as a society. We do have a medical student core curriculum uh, in dermatology, which has a bunch of modules in it. Um, it's, this is the, the, the landing page uh, from our website about this core curriculum, uh, the aad.org slash mscc. And it has, similar to your DOI program, it has self-study modules um, and self-tests, and it's something that you can do at home. And this is, basic, this is you know, sort of Dermatology 101, really, as, as we would see uh, appropriate for medical students, some of which uh, may, uh, may apply to you guys. Other resources of interest, um, you know, we've, we've improved the Academy website to do, be better, to do better searches. Public education resources are available to you. Uh, there's this, on the website the Dermatology A to Z, which is a, uh, um, a sort of, this is really for the public, but it's a catalog of diseases from, you know, A to zoster, whatever A might be, atopic dermatitis to zoster, I'll just say, because I don't know what it really is, but anyway, about every, it's, there's something for every letter in the alphabet, I think. Um, we have a Facebook page now, uh, we, have, we, we tweet, and um, there's an iPad app 
for the JAD, which is available for those of you who prescribe for that. The, I hope you all have had a chance to see the new dermatology world, new for about a year now. It's a magazine format instead of the large newspaper format. And um, we do have some uh, social media for dermatologists, some uh, internal sort of Twitter stuff, all of which is designed to help enhance the specialty. Now, something that some, somebody has just passed out to you, a, a little survey, which I'd like you to fill out. Um, one of the things that, we're, that we've looked at is to try to gather adverse information on adverse events uh, with, with the goal to try to improve patient care, our, our clinical care, our, our, our number one priority. And so we asked about 150 dermatologists to describe what's the biggest error you made in your life? What's the worst outcome you ever saw? Totally anonymous, you know, uh, and we try to, to try to gather these things. So we want to try to expand the survey to include you guys. And if you would, can take a minute, either while I'm talking or sometime, early this morning and fill out that, that survey. What's the worst thing that ever happened with you and a patient? Totally anonymous. Uh, nobody's going to analyze your handwriting and come back and find you. Uh, there's no lawyers standing in the back waiting to sue you for malpractice. But it will be helpful for us to know what kind of things there have been. And there must have been. We've all had problems like that. So if we can, if the, more, the more stakeholders, the more providers we can get information from, the better we're going to be able to, to focus in, in, gee, what are some needs? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll identify some needs that we need to educate about. So again, it's, it's available on paper. Please, please fill it out. It's totally anonymous. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, sharing the results of this with you and trying to help us all improve the care for the patients. OK. How many of you know what the SPOT program is? Have you heard about that? Okay, massive apathy. All right, well, uh, this is our big deal, okay? This is our, when we want to try to brand the academy and brand dermatology with this SPOT program, SPOT Skin Cancer. And we have all kinds of uh, press releases and PR stuff that's going out that's, that, that's part of all this. And you see some of the things that are there, our shade structure programs, our public service announcements, um, our skin cancer screening that we do every year. Uh, you know, we, we've screened, I think, two million people. We've found, I don't know, I think several tens of thousands of melanomas and I don't know how many basal cells over the years in these uh, screening programs. And so this is really part of one of our core missions and that we want to increase public understanding and awareness about skin, skin cancer, try to change behavior to reduce the incidence and mortality of skin cancers. Raising public, we'd like for skin cancer to be as important to the public as breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon, or lung cancer. It's a hard, a hard road, road to follow, but there are far more skin cancers than any of these others, in fact, than all these others put together. And we want, to have the, we want to be sure that people understand that by seeing a dermatologist, a dermatology practice, uh, that, we will be, that the experts in these diagnoses of skin cancer, and we will be able, hopefully, to improve the public's health for this. We want to be the ultimate resource for skin cancer information, diagnosis, and detection. So that's, this, is th these, this color scheme and this uh, branding of the SPOT program, you'll, you'll be seeing more of this. It's part of our, of our specialty positioning. 